So here we are. (laughs) We were beginning together a week ago, this concept of week, a week. (laughs) For some of us it might feel like a lifetime. Like we're, we've been here for, for a very, very long time. <laughs> for others, it may feel like it went very quickly. This sense of time, time. Time is such an interesting thing. Or for some, it may feel like, yeah, just right. Ready to go. Some are staying. Some people here who are still in their middle of their retreat, actually. Some staying a little bit longer, a couple day, day or two. So, you know, it's relative for different people. This time, beginning, middle, and end. So for each of us, we have a sense of that for ourselves, but yet there is some sense of ending. Something's ending. And we spoke about that a little bit yesterday with this, what's ending? What's actually ending Because there is a sense of a change, a shift. This form, this formation, this community, these people, the teachers, being at Guy House, all of that's come together, the the conditions have come together, and they're now, in this way, falling apart. These particular, this particular set of conditions. So there is a sense of an ending Yet with every ending, there is a new beginning. Something else appears in awareness, in consciousness. Our job is to see if we can continue to stay present for that. Just stay present for that. The changing array, the landscape, the changing landscape of our experience, of our life. And when we have this sense of ending, we may feel some grief. We might feel some sadness. We feel, I'm not ready yet. I'm not ready yet. Others may feel, I'm really ready. <laughs> That's enough already. Right? But some, and for many people actually, there is that sense of the grief. There's some, like, and it's true, there is some sense of loss. There is something we are losing. It's not like we're supposed to get over that, not feel that some way that that we're not being equanimous like the Buddha. But grief is another emotion that moves through the human heart. The sense of loss, we lose things. We lose things that we love. We lose things that are beautiful. They change, sometimes into that which is the opposite. Quite ugly, painful. How do we keep our awareness how do we keep our presence, our connection with that, with, with experience, moment to moment? One time I was sitting by a window working on a Dharma talk, reflecting on some teachings, and outside was this fantastic vivid rainbow that appeared in the sky. So my attention went to the rainbow, and I saw it in all its vivid colors. You know, the rainbows, is just, it's, they're really pretty remarkable <coughs> phenomena. And the sparkling, kind of vivid, sort of illusory nature of the rainbow, and I'm, I'm looking at it, and of course reflecting on some of the Dhamma teachings of impermanence and emptiness, and you know, and then the rainbow just starts to dissolve in the sky. Just appeared in its vividness and then disappeared. Watched the whole thing. And just watched, you know, felt and sensed my own relationship to that. It's just in, I'm in awe. I'm in awe of that. That these conditions can come together and then just disappear, just dissolve back into the what can seem like sometimes just the nothingness. In this way, the voidness of the sky, coming and going. So our retreat is very much like that in some respect. But where am I? Where am I? Who am I? We've been looking at that. Who am I? Who am I in relationship to all? So we, every, in this practice, every moment is an opportunity for mindful awareness. Every moment 
No matter where we are, what we're doing, how we're being, is an opportunity, what we call practice. We call it practice because it seems that there's something that does need some attention. It's not yet effortless. <laughs> not like an effortless sort of opening to the Dhamma, just as it is. Because what gives rise is the grasping mind, this attachment and aversion and the movement of mind of wanting and not wanting and all the complexities of our life come into play. And all that which is hidden, all that which we don't even know that is playing through the, the consciousness of me. So we practice. So in that respect, our daily life is an opportunity for us to continue our practice. It doesn't mean that we have to, you know, necessarily find this time to sit every day, and that's my practice. And if I'm not doing that, then I'm not practicing. And I do hear that a lot from people who have started along this path, that, oh, my my practice has fallen apart. I said, well, what do you mean? (laughs) What does that actually mean to you? What happens in the, uh, the 23 hours and 20 minutes of the rest of the day when you're not sitting on your cushion? What about that? And so we're hoping, Catherine and I are really hoping that you have a sense here. Every moment. That's also why we brought, introduced the talking and the listening because that's such a big part of our daily way of being is in relationship in some way. How do we hold the awareness? How do we practice with the awareness? Mindful attention. Whatever we're doing, whether we're interacting, we're working, we're home, we're with our children, we're driving, we're shopping, we're bathing, eating. Every moment, the same Possibility, same opportunity for us. And what we're practicing in this tradition, in this particular Buddhist tradition, is we're walking the Eightfold Noble Path, this path that the Buddha has offered us, has laid out for us. This path which has three parts, which are called sila, Samadhi and Panya, what that means is uh, Panya, wisdom. Wisdom, these two factors of a wisdom which we've been practicing here, which is this clarifying the wise view. The wise view. Seeing things clearly. And wise attitude or thought. How we are relating, how we're interacting with the experience that's arising for us. These first two factors that give rise to the wisdom, panya. And in wise view, what we've been practicing here is really seeing into the truth of these, what the Buddha calls the, the noble truths. The noble truths, which are the, the causes and conditions that give rise to our suffering and the causes and conditions that release our suffering. But the first truth, which one of my colleagues, Stephen Batchelor, has been um, reflecting on and now calling four tasks rather than four truths, because he sees them more as imperatives, more as directions, instructions for us. The first one is to embrace. Embrace. What a beautiful word. Embrace dukkha. Embrace suffering looking at our relationship to when the painful aspect of life arises, how are we with that? Where we see the mind get caught in the attachment and the aversion, pushing and pulling, I want, I don't want. (coughs) doesn't match the way I want things to be. When we lose the things we love and don't get what we want. Embracing the invitation to embrace suffering. The second one, because we understand that one of the conditions for suffering is this craving, is the way we hold on, is to let go. Let go. Let go of the craving. The third one is stop. 
that there is the possibility of stopping, stopping these deluded forces of mind that give rise to our pain, and we can stop, and when we start, stop, the heart releases into that, into that which is free, already free, already liberated. We know that experience of stopping. And we can stop at any moment. That's what we've been practicing. It's like, stop already, stop. Stop that momentum of those habits that are causing our pain and our suffering. Stop. And then when we do, we actually can experience the freedom. Everybody here have had moments of freedom. A taste of freedom. A taste of that liberation. Sometimes for short times, sometimes for longer times. But it's the taste. The taste of freedom. And the last, the last task is to, to act or to walk, to move forward. And it's to, to move forward on the path, to walk this path. To walk the path, path of wisdom and ethics and meditation, these three parts. Wisdom is the first one where you see into the truth of these four Uh, conditions, causes and conditions of the way things are and begin to release that. Walking this path. The second part, our ethics, very important part in the Buddhist teachings. And we, we, we practice with the ethics because that's actually what holds us, kind of a, a foundation for us until the wisdom arises more fully in the consciousness, in the mind. So we practice with three parts. Our speech. The Buddha gave a whole factor to speech. How we speak. Because words can be so penetrating, so impactful. Words that are painful or words that are kind and loving. We practice with it. The second one is the, uh, I'll just say, the livelihood. It's how we actually uh, work in the world, our service, that we're engaged in uh, work and livelihood that's actually bringing about more harmony and benefit rather than more harm and division in the world. And then the, the other one is the ethics, is morality, which we offered at the beginning of the retreat of the uh, five ethical precepts <clears throat> of not killing not stealing, not acting out in our sexuality that causes harm to, other, to myself and to other beings. Again, the speech, the fourth one is the speech, how we are with our speech because of the pain and harm it can cause. And the fifth one around intoxicants, alcohol, drugs, what we actually do to alter our mind and then we're not able to be present, connect, to be wise in our actions when the mind is clouded <coughs> with intentional substances. These are beautiful, beautiful guidelines for us as householders, as lay people, to, to practice and follow in the, in the world as a, as a, a, a grid or, or um, a practice to take these, to consider these. Which, take one. Take one. I'm going to really look at my relationship to, um, to killing, to harming, to harming life, or, or my, my, my speech, or my sexuality. Huge. I mean, you can see how each one, just the reverberations in our world, oh, the, the, the ripples that go out into our human world, and Catherine will speak a little bit more about that, the global uh, uh, community. And so taking each one of these, because you can see, too, that as we open, the sensual world actually starts to become a little bit more intoxicating. It's very pleasurable on one, on one end. You know, it's like the, the body comes alive, the senses come alive, and that kind of, that, that potential intoxication for the pleasure. Because it's very pleasurable when we open. So we need to know how to guard our 
mind from the grasping, from the craving, from the attachment to those things. That's the wisdom. So we need to know how to bring the wisdom along. Bring the wisdom along in our speech, in our actions. Because if we're not careful, this is, it's, it's a slippery slope. <laughs> this is what we've been looking at this week, you know. As soon as there's that liking, oh, that pleasure, oh, you know, I want more of that. I don't want the pain. Which, of course, makes sense. But how do we open to that in a balanced and equanimous way so that we're not causing more harm and pain and suffering to ourselves and to others? The bottom line, it's not right, it's not wrong. It's all about the release from the pain for ourselves and for others. And then the last part of the Eightfold Path is the, is the meditation. It's meditation, concentration, and energy, or effort, which is a big part of what we've been uh, focusing on here. How do you uh, be mindful? How, what is concentration? How do these come together? How do we maintain our energy so that we can continue to practice with an awake and energized investigative, interesting mind, interested mind. This is our, this is the path. It's all, it's laid out for us. The Buddha offered us this path to walk towards more and more freedom in our lives. So we're wanting to make awareness our home. Make awareness our home. Talked about coming home. Coming home into present, this living presence, a way of being awake, being alive in our experience, within our experience, our experience being alive, being awake with that. So we have these three questions. You can continue to practice with these three questions, you know, and that just means every now and then just checking, you know, am I here? Am I aware? Is there awareness? What's awareness? Sit here. What's happening? You know, this is the big question in this practice. What's happening? Because <laughs> so much, we, we don't actually know what's happening. You know, we're kind of on automatic a lot of the time, or kind of disconnected from our experience mind, body, feelings, emotions. What's happening? Is tuning in? Mm-hmm. And then how? How am I being aware? What's the quality of the mind? Is there grasping in the mind? Is there hope, wanting more, pushing something away? This We can start to feel that energetically. And Catherine and I have spoken a lot about that this week. Grounding through the body. Really taking this on as our practice. Taking this on as how we carry this with us. How we take it along with us as we leave here. And, the, and the, uh, the fourth question I would like to offer is, where are the places that I lose my practice? To begin to question that for yourselves, whether it's for short periods in the day or longer periods in the week or sometimes it's a few months and sometimes people come to me and they say, I've lost my practice for 10 years. You know? But now we can ask the question you know, that, that, that there's energy and there's inspiration, there's uh, the wakeful energy. I really feel that in this group. And Catherine and I have been commenting on that uh, through the week as we feel the aliveness in the room. It's been wonderful for us. Feel this collective awareness that's grown in this group together. So now that this is here, we can ask the question as we go back, where are the places in my day or in my week where my practice seems to fall apart? And when we're talking about practice, we're talking about awareness and connection and interest and investigation. Where are the places that my practice falls apart? And when you notice that, when you see that, what can you do to support yourself to bring awareness back in? The skillful means, the drawing on your resources for awareness. So some resources for awareness 
are having a, a daily meditation practice. So you actually have a time in the day. It doesn't matter what time in the day, but you have a time in the day where you're actually coming into your posture, your meditation posture. And there's something about this posture which is a kind of remembrance where we go, okay, now it's time for me to collect my attention here in the present moment. So bringing yourself into this meditation posture for as long as you can. Ideally, you know, 20 minutes. But sometimes when I say 20 minutes and I'm speaking with another teacher, then the teacher reminds me to say, even if it's for a minute. (laughs) Because if we think it's 20 minutes, we might, I don't have 20 minutes, so then we forget about it. Sometimes it's, you know, right before you go to bed and you haven't gotten into the posture, so you get into the posture sitting in the bed for one minute. And then you see what happens. But that's the stopping. So for one minute, for 15 minutes, for 20 minutes, for a half an hour, 45 minutes, an hour, you're stopping. The momentum of the habit, collecting the awareness and the wisdom here. That's a primary support for us, is our daily meditation. But then there's coming to retreats. Um, Practice other practices of the loving-kindness practices, uh, forgiveness practices, uh, generosity practices Catherine spoke about. Anything that begins to collect our attention into remembrance of awareness. Having sacred altars, having places that we go to that kind of waken up that, that uh, 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 remembrance of the practice. <coughs> Um, there's also the in, what's going to support the investigation, which is reading books and listening to Dharma talks and talking with friends, having discussion groups, um, going to Sangha meetings, uh, listening to, to, to teachers, being with teachers when you can, uh, bringing the Dharma, ca- calling the Dharma teachings and practices closer to you in your life. <laughs> so that the conditions are starting to collect for that around you more and more. You're encouraging the conditions for wakefulness. The Internet has so many resources now. It's it's exploded with teachings. And teachings of Dharma Seed, uh, that's available for us to hear Dharma talks. It it helps the keeps the mind inspired and, and uh, interested in these teachings, it remembering. And then there's energy. So there's awareness, investigation, and energy, three component pieces. Energy has to do with our sense of well-being. So I'm looking at exercise, I'm looking at my diet, I'm looking at how I'm actually working with stress in my life, so bringing that to a little bit more balance. If I have strong psychological issues or knots that are arising, perhaps doing some psychotherapy, psycho, uh, working on very particular issues that are problematic for me. If I have trauma, past trauma, in the last te- 10 years there's so much knowledge now that has uh, opened up in the field around trauma, deep deep uh, events that have happened to us, uh, shocks to the system. There's all new practices and understanding on how to work with that. And until some of, sometimes until some of those are worked with, some of the awareness is quite bound up in those past events. And so they may need a more direct attention diff- that's different than the kind of practice that we're doing here. It's a support, but it may not get to the particular issues of our past. So all of this, we're bringing all of it in as support for awakening. Support to what is going to increase awareness. Because I see there are ways it falls apart. I see that there are ways it collapses. It's a very broad vision for us. It's not just sitting on my cushion. (laughs) We really want to open it up. 
So you see that actually what is being called on, what is being invited here, is for the Dhamma, and the Dhamma, the teachings, the practices, the understanding, the view, to land right in the center of our life. That is our life. There is no more difference between here and there, retreat and outside. It's all possible right here and now for us, in this very moment. This is what Catherine and I really owes our our intention for this retreat to, to... and Catherine's beautiful talk on the two worlds meeting, that open door where the two worlds meet, finding that threshold. So I'm going to pass this to her and come back at some point. While she's getting her chair, then I'll read. (laughs) I have one little poem that I'd like to end with from William Stafford. There's a thread you follow. It goes among things that change, but it doesn't change. People wonder about what you are pursuing. You have to explain about the thread, but it's hard for others to see. While you hold it, you can't get lost. Tragedies happen, people get hurt or die, and you suffer and get old. Nothing you can do can stop times unfolding, but you don't ever let go of the thread. world comes in now. <laughs> More things. <clears throat> yeah, the thread. <clears throat> the th- don't ever let go of the thread. The um, Buddha spoke about wise intention, part of the path. And he pared it down to three wise intentions. And this is, we could say, is part part of the thread or part of supporting us to be in contact with the thread. Um, He said there's the the intention towards non-harming, which Shada spoke about, the intention towards non-cruelty, and the intention toward renunciation or letting go. Um... Just that. And those intentions support that contact with that in us which calls us, that which we know calls us deeper and wider. Um, and one thing I would say, though, with this any beautiful path, any path that has ethics, um, groundedness and wisdom, to really be watchful of the spiritual critic that can come in from any beautiful thing. Right? So with these beautiful intentions, with these ennobling truths that Shada was speaking about, for us to be watchful of when we have an image of where we ought to be already, an ideal, a spiritual ideal, like the Moses thing, I should be like Moses, right? the story yesterday, and closing that gap between the ego ideal and actually the actuality of what's here and now. Otherwise, this um, idea and the self-beating that happens, we see that, right, in, in the world and in spiritual traditions that have something beautiful at their core, and then this extreme uh, views can happen of I'm supposed to be somewhere else, someone else, because it can't be this, because it can't be this, but it is this. And we get more faith that it's this one. It's not the other one. Uh, um, 
one of my teachers says, you know, if you're keeping looking at yourself and you want to be a rose, I want to be a rose like that one over there. And he said, and you strive and strive and strive to be a rose, but you never actually found out you were a mango. (laughs) (laughs) You didn't know, because you thought roses were better than mangoes. We're all so different. And that's part of the magnificence, actually, of of creation. The, the, The Dharma teachings point to this perennial depth, which is universal, which is not personal. And that allows us to take our seat and let Akiva be Akiva. Not even who Akiva thinks he should be or even who Akiva thinks he is, but what's that expression that's coming through in that moment? So really watch the spiritual critic. Don't turn these teachings into another whip, please. Um, The first thing is about ending um, and the sensitivity, especially if you're new and you haven't been from a retreat to a not retreat, that threshold before, and even if you're not new. Just to remember that you are probably more sensitive and open and easily impacted um, by contact. So just take care of that today. Take times where you move out into, even if it's one minute of silence where you feel your feet in the earth, <coughs> plug them back into the earth and breathe. Remember. <coughs> Excuse me. Um don't be in too much of a hurry. Some of, us, some of us are in a hurry not to go. Some of us are in a hurry to go. If you have that kind of tendency, it's like, great, tonight, pizza, movies. You know, if you're that... <laughs> None of you like that? Okay, I won't need to say that. None of you got that kind of hungry ghost mind, kind of all the things you can have now. Um, just to be watchful of that, not to stuff in too much, like after a fast. It's not quite respectful to consciousness to load too much in. Um, So again, it's it's this middle way. It's not being overly, oh, like now I'm something very special. It's not that, but it's respecting the sensitivity of consciousness um, and protecting that, taking care of that, right, during the day. And over the next... Uh, well, over the rest of your lifetime, hopefully. But over the next over the next seven days or so, don't be in a t- too much of a hurry to get your shape back to normal. It may be that people might see you a little different. They may really not. People see we, not people. There aren't. They're not those people and these people. People, we see what we see according to how much we can see, and people will see us according to how much they can see, and we'll see them according to how much we can see. Um, and that's how it is. <laughs> My friend has a thing on his fridge. It says, what is it, that, that thing? Men are from Mars. Women are from Venus. Deal with it. <laughs> that's what it says on his fridge. It's like, yeah, we see what we see. Right? We see what we see as best as we can see it. So respecting that today, um, um yeah, if you're driving, just take care with the driving. Again, the middle way, not too slow on the roads, not too fast. <laughs> Seriously. Um, you know, it's a wide awareness. It's like, okay, that's right, we do 30, 35, not five. <laughs> so you can, because wisdom is coming into relationship with the truth of the way things are, right? It's not like we're trying to shrink the world to fit into Guy House. That would be terrible. Even though there's all beautiful things here, but what about the diversity? Right? If we try to shrink everything to be like this, I'm not so sure that would be what the world needs. <laughs> right? We come into contact with things as they are. And that's one aspect of, mindful wisdom, of mindfulness and wisdom, to, to know what are the conditions and what is wise here, right? what is wise for me. So sometimes it's taking myself away a little bit more. Sometimes for me, it's entering in a little bit more to know what's true here in relationship to what's here. This vertical depth and our horizontal human-animal connection. This is, the, this is the place where the worlds meet. Right. Um, 
Yeah, so I wanted to share a little bit about that, actually, about what supports us to keep the channels open. Because at the end of a retreat, sometimes we often feel more open. The channels are a little bit more open, internal and external. It doesn't mean there aren't traffic in the channels. There may be the traffic of, as someone said yesterday, I may have all my self-images and I'm like this, but something's a little bit more available, right? That the path is a little bit more open for us with each other and the world and, and with ourselves. Sometimes after some weeks have passed, we may notice the channels clog up a little bit more because the conditions here are special in the sense that they support a certain thing to be cultivated. And when things are more busy coming in faster, we may notice, oh, I was really open at the end at Gaia House and now I feel a bit clogged up again. My way I'm making contact with someone or with myself feels more occluded. That may happen. After opening, very often there can be a kind of an inertial pull of the personality, like elastic, kind of pulls us back into familiar shapes. It's okay. It doesn't mean you blew it. It doesn't mean that the path is irrelevant. It means... Um, the conditions are different right now. Where's my red thread? <laughs> Where's my thread? What is the thread I'm handling here? Because Dharma is of one taste. And Dharma, again, it doesn't mean Buddha Dharma. The truth doesn't belong to the Buddha. The truth belongs to the truth. Right? But what allows me to connect with that call, that flame, that spark, that knowing of that call to know what is beyond the appearance of things. Because we long for that, we need that, we are of that. And if we don't and lose contact with that, we get lost in the world of appearances and impacts. And that's quite a world to be lost in. It's quite a world to be lost in. So this depth, when the channels clog up a bit more, what supports us to know that, to get the support we need, to do the practices we need, to plug into the channels that are already available for us? So what I mean by that is spiritual friendship. And I would say that, you know, I could throw that word out as if, okay, now do spiritual friendship like, you know, like everyone knows what to do. I can own that from the perspective of our lineage, as one small lineage in the world, looking into truth and depth. In our lineage, I would say, the, of the three jewels of the Buddha, Dharma, and Sangha, right? Awakening, truth, and the relational part, that the Sangha is the part that has been least cultivated and developed in our lineage. That our teachers did a fantastic job of bringing the teachings of depth of awakening um, and the teachings together, the development of the Sangha and how that, those pathways link up together. Some of you are already doing that and are establishing that. But that, for me, is I, I feel like the part where this lineage is working right now. What does it mean to have a spiritual friendship? Like, what does that mean? How do you do that? What is it in it that, that actually lets us have a new conversation about depth and breadth? <coughs> so um, we do that together. We have to, we're working this out together. How we wake up together. Because the Sangha is the third jewel, we cannot do this on our own. Even though it looks like it sometimes, doesn't it? It's like, oh my God, it's all happening here. But actually, we have to do this together because there isn't an on my own. That doesn't exist. There is actually no such thing as on my own. It just feels like that. We're never on our own. It's all here. As we look deeper, we see all the causes and conditions that brought me here. The me that I know, but it doesn't, we don't have to look much further to see all the causes and conditions of this world that our intimacy with them is breathtakingly mind-blowing. And what does it mean to live in relationship with that truth of the interconnectedness? Because our path, again, doesn't just all happen here. Sometimes we're plugging away at our depth and 
feeling bashed around by the seas that arise here. And we may need to take some care and some investigation of what about this dimension, the action, my level of action, my level of speech, my level of relationship, how do I have, how, does, how is that the same story as informing the depth of my love of silence, for example, my love of subtlety, my love of refinement, my love of precision and seeing the mind. How do I work when the mind's a bit less refined? It's a little bit more clunky. What's coming in is a little bit more like, you know, what happens at Crystal Palace football ground. It's, you know, the world isn't, isn't all like here, right? We, there's, there's, there's one taste. It's refined and sometimes it's not. So what allows us to keep these channels and support these channels to, to either stay open, to uh, clear, to get a little clearer, so we can have a new conversation? So I want to share a new conversation that we had um, at the teacher meeting I spoke about that was two weeks ago in California. <clears throat> and we had a new conversation there about... Uh, the relationship with our planet as part of our waking up. And while there are teachers who have picked up this theme and indeed Sangha members who are deeply involved with the crisis that is really arising for us globally around the climate and the ecosystem and the, the, the real shift that's happening in the story of how we know this planet as something that sustains us in a certain way, in a certain way, that is indeed changing. What does it mean to be lovers of awakening? Because awakening doesn't happen somewhere else other than this planet. I mean, it might happen somewhere else other than this planet. I don't know about that. <laughs> I can talk about this part, right? It's here we wake up. And the tremendous suffering that we may feel, some of, some of us will feel that very sensitively of whether our doorway, whether our love of that is through the loss of species that is happening, whether it's through the mostly still the poorer and vulnerable people and often um, non-European people that are really feeling the impacts of that to their land, to the water levels, to their farming, to their... right. How do we hold this? What I can't imagine has been an ever more complex picture for humanity to look at together. How do we hold that with the knowledge of awakening? And this is the conversation we had at the teacher meeting... <clears throat> And um, and it's it's not like we've had the conversation and now we can tell you. <laughs> right, here we are, dear brothers and sisters. This is now what you must do. It's not like that, is it? This kind of waking up right now, in these conditions, the Buddha did not live in a earth with seven plus billion people in a post-industrial fossil fuel dependent earth. He wouldn't have even had much knowledge, actually. I mean, he may have had his uh, kind of omniscient seeing aspect, but in terms of the detailed knowledge, that's different conditions here, what it looks like to wake up right now. And in fact, there's a... I hope I don't misquote it, tell me if I do, but I understand that uh, the, the Vietnamese teacher Thich Nhat Hanh once said quite some time ago, something like, the next Buddha will be the Sangha. Right? Something about waking up together here, where we, we're really in this together, if we look at the planetary piece. And that's the same story as our awakening. We're in this together. So what's that new conversation that we can have together? If, we, if that's indeed true for us, it doesn't mean that the, necessarily that the, that the earth and the climate is the story that touches you. It may not. But wherever is your passion, wherever is your heart's love, because we're usually passionate about something. (coughs) 
And it may, as I spoke about the other night, I don't need to go into that again. Um, But what is our passion in the service of? What is it in the service of? And um, actually, it's all levels. It's not not like I'm, I'm not advocating now that just have a cough break for me and Anne. <laughs> it's not, you know, when we pick up these big questions, it can be like, oh my God, right? How do, because, how do we hold that? Because it's at all levels, whatever our peace may be in the story of waking up together. And for some of us, at some times, and this has certainly been the case for me, it's I do my work of keeping my feet on the ground. That's what I'm offering right now. I do what I need, I get the support that I need to keep my feet on the ground to handle what's arising here in this system that I call me. This is a noble work. That is our world work. That is our peace in that moment. It may be something else that we feel called to do of our relationships, taking care with our family how we communicate and keep the channels open. We take care of the relational field. And my wish is that as Sangha people, we all learn together with the skills that we have as teachers and as not teachers, how to keep the channels open for this new conversation. So at the meeting, what was beautiful was um, we received a letter, which some of you will have signed, actually. It only went out. Not all of you will have had the chance to see it. But there's a tradition um, where teachings are offered in response to a request. There is no teacher without one who wants to hear, right? Dependently arises. And there was a letter from Sangha members um, saying, Dear teachers, this is the situation with regard to planet, the climate, the suffering. Um, Please have a look at this together. See what you can bring from the Dharma to the table for us to contemplate, to work with, to act upon. Please look at this together and let's do this together. And we had a scroll of signatures from people such as us, yourselves, and I just want to tell you where the signatures came from in just a few, just a short time. In the beginning, I carried the letter. I went to Cambridge and in about February, and I just got a few signatures. Um, and then at, uh, the Sangha kind of put it out a little bit further. And in the last few weeks, we had a map in that room. It's not global, but it's international. So I'm not pretending it includes everybody yet, but... It's the pathways lighting up. And in this room with the teacher group, we had a Buddha in the center touching the earth, which is the one we have here. It's where he touches the earth in his moment just before awakening. He reaches down and touches the earth because he's having Mara come. (laughs) He's having Mara come saying, who do you think you are sitting there thinking you can be free? And he reaches down and touches the earth. And the earth bears witness to his right to take his seat on the land in this place for this time and wake up. So we had a Buddha touching the earth. And one of the nuns, one of the bhikkhunis, presented this scroll to the Buddha touching the earth. And in the break, one of the teachers unraveled it. And it spread right across the room. And the names of us were from... And I'm going to forget some places, so I'm going to start. New Zealand, Australia, USA, Canada, Finland, Norway, Norway, Finland, Sweden, Denmark, uh, UK, uh, England, Wales, Ireland, <laughs> Scotland, Spain, um, Singapore, uh, uh, Portugal. And that was just in a few small weeks. There was this sense, and as we just looked at it as teachers together, it's like, wow, look at all those. Like this, They're having the same conversation, saying, let's look at this together. It's inspiring. It's part of doing it together. So many things came from that meeting, and there's many uh, seeds sown and watered, and we're all part of watering that. And if you would like to be part of that, And it doesn't mean you have to sign up or pledge your life. But it means if you'd like to be informed of this conversation, then I'll 
I'm leaving a paper in the library at 12, and uh, you can leave your email address. It does not mean you will be fished upon and said, please save the world. <laughs> it does not mean that, because this, we, 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 we don't know what's going to happen. But we can wake up together and bear witness and respond the way that we respond. There's a beautiful piece from um, Andrew Harvey. I just listened to it last night. He's a practitioner and social activist also. And he has this lovely piece about, he says, the silence of the sage and the passion of the activist, neither is enough right now. Right? On, it, on their own, it's not a conversation. But the silence of the sage and the passionate human heart, whatever it is we're truly passionate about, that coming together is the igniting of a divine, in his language, the divine force of waking up together. So, pick it up in whatever way you wish. It's not... Uh, see what's true. See what's true for you. But it's, it's, um, what is beautiful is that these channels lighting up and conversations. So um, uh, I, was, I, I teach in Massachusetts at New Year's and it, I, was one, I was questioning, well, I was wondering about, you know, flying. They could have someone else teach, right? I could, how do I use my carbon? How, do, how, am, I, how am I handling that right now? And inquiring into that, and in this case, I, I did decide to go, and I did serve the retreat, and I met a man there who, on the retreat, such as you, um, and he's the WWF, World Wildlife Fund, Director of Climate Change, and he's a Dharma practitioner. And we got together, and the links are kind of, it didn't start with us, the links are already happening, but these links are linking up, right? These links are linking up. So... It's, it's beautiful. And to handle the grief that some of us feel, the pain or the numbness around it, or the anger, or the helplessness, all that arises in relation to the world, we handle that together. We handle that together. Hmm. So I need to breathe now, because you could tell there was kind of a passion arising there. Right? How to hold those two forces, Right? our our great love and the knowledge that actually we're not here to try and save or try and make something fixed and solid. There is change. There is change. There is the results of our actions. How to have that kind of peaceful knowledge of not having to pick up everything that fires us up but to have this stillness and love together. Okay, yeah. So I think I'll finish there. Um, Yeah, my wishes. All of those things that were in that Nina Simone song for all of us. Um, And the joy of waking up together. Really, and that's what we've been doing. It doesn't happen later. <laughs> it doesn't happen later once we've saved this or done that. It happens in the only place anything really happens, right here. Thank you. Um, <clears throat> so we take ten minutes. Um, if there are, oh, I know what I didn't speak about. Didn't answer your piece from yesterday. Um, I'll pick that up in the questions. If there are any questions arising of of going home, moving out at this point, we'll take ten minutes or so to see what's in the room, what wants to be said with regard to question. We'll have a little time later for something else as well. Anybody? What's on your mind? Question. Regarding to what you were talking about, whether there's a website or information where we could um, guess, get a sense of knowledge or perspective where it's helpful uh, in terms of relating to the environment or 
what to do and what not to do and Okay, yeah. Um, so I'll put up a website. So a couple of initiatives are happening within this Sangha. Out of Gaia House, and I haven't been involved with the one at Gaia House, but some of the staff and teachers are... There's, it was first a Facebook page, but it's now a site just about to be launched called Dance, Dharma Action Network for Climate Engagement. They have a particular interest in action. Um, out of the North American, Washington, D.C., Sangha, where it's really a flourishing Sangha there. There's uh, this uh, Dharma practitioner has cr- uh, a number of them come together. One Earth Sangha, they're calling it. It's it's just getting up and going and is a place for all that resourcing. So I'll put that. It'll be in the library. And it will be in the library. And Sharda's going to put resources on her website around this as well. So whichever way you link in, hopefully the lights will light up where you want to go. Kim, yeah. Just on that respect, I just want to say I did get a website together this past uh, these past few months, which I'm kind of excited about. So it's just Sharda Rogel, <laughs> Sharda Rogel dot com, um, <laughs> 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 which is just so funny, really. <laughs> but my my main my main interest for the website was to have res- have a resource center. So um, I put that. I mean, if you're not going to, if you somehow don't remember it, <laughs> uh, there was a little resource list I put on the notice board uh, with some other uh, websites too. So do please uh, have a look at that at some point. There's some a number of different things on there, and Dharma talks, and um, uh, a little book that I put together. You know, different things. So it's a it's a good resource on that respect. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Because that really brings together Dharma practice and engagement. Amen to Joanna Macy. So Joanna Macy is an elder uh, in our tradition, essentially, um, in North America, in USA. She's from the USA, isn't she? Yeah. And currently she's in Scotland, actually, with 100 people. Um, doing her work, and she's a Dharma practitioner, and she has a whole... She's been working with this for years. You know, some people have caught on to this uh, environmental situation, and she's really done a lot of work and development in called the work that reconnects, and that's something, if you're interested, and some of you will know it very well, but can plug into. And at the teacher meeting, we watched a video together of her flying over... um, uh, the uh, tar sands in Alberta, in Canada, these beautiful forests that they call the lungs of the USA that are being stripped and squeezed to keep oil at $4 a barrel. Yeah, so it's, it's, there's something for us to open to here. She's, she's a beautiful, beautiful woman. Jo- Joanna Macy is the elder in this, all this work, Dharma and Social Action. She's an amazing, amazing woman. She also has a website. I'm sure it's joannamacy.com. <laughs> Thank you. I'm so glad you brought Joanna in. It will be. You know, it's amazing what hasn't all gotten linked up. I think this is, this is the age of... It's the, it's the beauty potential of this age, as well as, you know, whatever, whatever, whatever it's in the service of this age. Right? Yeah. No, not yet. <laughs> but there's a network of engaged Buddhists. Um, that's the British one, isn't it? Yeah, the Buddhist Peace Fellowship in USA actually folded, sadly. Um, but something new may emerge from that. Yeah, uh, probably within a month or so, I, I can link all these up, though, on my resource page. Yeah. And it, any questions about anything else as well? Even though there isn't an anything else apart wake, from waking up together. Any last questions? It's sort of like that's what our, our intention was. Is there anything left that I'm curious about before we go? I could pick up um, Laura's piece, actually, from yesterday. She said, what about sh- sharing and speaking with people who haven't been on retreat and aren't necessarily interested in waking up? 
which is probably a lot of people we know, right? Um, so one is res- about respectful to yourself, that you don't uh, try to say everything. Really see what's really being asked when someone says, how was your retreat, if they do indeed say that. Um, so that you don't kind of spill and then feel like you gave away too much. There's some kind of care and protection there. At the same time, they may genuinely be interested, right? One of the measures for me is um, sensing through as much as I'm available to be here, body, heart, mind, whatever's here, like, what, what is the appropriate response right now? How much truth-telling from me can this field, does this field want? And we find that out together. So I might say a little bit, and then I see them turn off or glaze over. It's like, oh, okay. <laughs> okay. Right? Um, that's respectful, of where they are. It's like we don't make a hierarchy here. One of the one of the pieces around social resilience that's being spoken about with regard to the earth is being able to tolerate differences of being in different places with different things and work with our own response because we can come back, whether it's about the planet or awakening or whatever it is, um, we can come back, you know, and we have a lot of insights about the other people that we live with. <laughs> Don't tell them. <laughs> Don't tell them. Firstly, they may not be completely objective. Very likely they're not, Where, especially when it's people we love and are entangled with. It's not likely we've got the complete objective, omniscient picture yet, <laughs> even though it feels like it. So really be watchful of that. Truth isn't about blurting out every idea you have um, in your mind. It's about uh, knowing the right time to speak, uh, knowing what leads onward and is kind and that is not divisive. So it's wise speech. It's not just truth, 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 truth. This is the truth. <laughs> right? It's like how to speak truth that it doesn't. And that we get a sense of that the f- you can feel the field shutting down. or the, You can feel each other shutting down, can't you? When someone glazes over or tightens up or I tighten up or glaze over. It's like, okay, hmm. that's, that's <laughs> enough for now. In this pathway, this is as much light that's going to light up right here without judging that without judging it we can still have great love for each other but this may not be an especially new conversation right now but there's still love there's still commitment there's still right but it's important we find the pathways where we do light up as well This is a, a time, this is probably one of the few times I would say um, less, less is more in the respect that if somebody says, how is your retreat? You say, good. <laughs> we say that anyway. <laughs> That's what I mean. This time it actually seems to fit well. You just say, yeah, fine. <laughs> and then you see if another question comes. Well, what kinds of things happened? And then you can maybe say a little bit more. But it's like, I think, I think it's always better to not say very much at all. Particularly, uh, as I said yesterday, things just do, really do need to cook a little bit more. They need to simmer a little bit more. You, we, you don't even, we don't even know yet what happened here or what our retreat is about. This is, hasn't come into a cognitive kind of conceptual framework yet for most of us. Sometimes it takes six months or a year before we understand so we don't need to make sense of it before it actually starts making sense for us. So we want to go slow, be very careful, be sensitive to what you share. Keith? Um, if anyone asks me, I now quite quickly refer to the whole mindfulness movement, John Cabot's in, which is how I got into this, because I was initially, and, and actually still am, sort of problems with Buddhism, you know, and the theology and the metaphysics. Um, so I quickly refer to the whole mindfulness movement because it's so much simpler <laughs> and less threatening and confident. Thank you. So I find that as a really, I find it a really useful sort of diversion, but a helpful diversion. Thank you. Did you hear that at the back? Yeah. Sita. Um, I was. <coughs> Interesting in, in response to that. Um, I had that ex- experience about Buddhism for a long time, but I'm now 
interested in uh, in reading about the theories of the practice. So I was, I was uh, ask, asking whether there's any particular books that you, um, from your tradition that you think would be useful to read. I'm actually I actually will have a book list in the library of books that I recommend, and I've also highlighted with an asterisk about six or seven books that I think would be uh, useful to begin with or to read. You know, there's probably about 30 books or something on there. And, and if you don't, if, if don't find it, it's also on my website. <laughs> so it's available. What's the address for that again? That's what The new era, huh? <laughs> and I'll put up another one, Access to Insight, and it's got a lot of the formal traditional teachings translated, like the suttas. So if you want to look up, you know, mindfulness on Access to Insight, it will kind of plug you into all these very formal traditional translations of some of the texts, if that's of interest. Yeah. Michael. Uh, is actually, if we're looking for a particular thing, like feeling or what in the Buddhist teaching is there a website where you just save yeah access Buddhist? access to insight yeah you can put okay. up um, okay. put up the word whatever you like and there's a different text or whatever yeah. the Buddha said about the particular and commentaries there's a number of commentaries as well yeah, yeah it's a great resource it's Tanisaru Bhikkhu out of mm-hmm. California yeah. okay yes Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.